if there's two regrets that I have from my childhood that stick with me to this day is one that I didn't stick with piano. It's my favorite instrument. One of my favorite artists is Ben Foles. I love hearing piano. And I know that I can learn this at any time. I can embrace this. And I've actually thought about taking lessons at this age, but I wish I wouldn't have quit. And a little bit of me wishes my parents wouldn't allow me to quit. And so that's something I always think about. But the second thing is that I wish I would have learned Greek. As a kid growing up in a small town in Canada, we were the only Greek family in the entire town. And I actually remember my mom speaking to me in Greek sometimes. And immediately I would say, don't talk to me in Greek. And it was almost embarrassing in that time at that age because I didn't want to be different. I didn't want to be seen as different. I wanted to be like everyone else that I was growing up around. And now looking back, how important it is for me, for my own kids to learn about the history of their family, embrace the opportunities. And I, I, and I wish I would have learned that. I wish my parents would have said, no, you're learning this. And it always, when I talk about building on the strengths and passions of kids, I think that's really important aspect of our lives. But I also think sometimes we should teach kids things that they might not see as beneficial to them today, but will serve them in the future. And it's finding that balance, finding that balance of exposing our students to things that they might not know they eventually will become interested in. And so sometimes I wish my parents would have done this. And I thought a lot about this when I was speaking to George Farrow, who is assistant superintendent in Whitman Hanson. I am so blessed to be able to join him and his school district in the very new, near future. And we're talking about some of those opportunities and really embracing the opportunities to learn from others, people that didn't necessarily grow up in our communities, but bring so many gifts and talents in that, how important it is to highlight that, that we all learn from each other and how much of a difference that would have made for me as a kid to want to see that there is opportunity in learning from my family's culture, from my family's language, how important that was to me. So it really stuck with me. And I talk a little bit about that with George in the podcast. It was a really great opportunity to have a conversation. We talked about education, talked a little sports, even a little wrestling, which I was kind of shocked at. But it was a great conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome back to another episode of the Innovators Mindset Podcast. This is George Kroos. Welcome to another episode of the Innovators Mindset Podcast. I'm so blessed to have George Farrow. He's assistant superintendent in Whitman Hanson in Massachusetts, and I will actually be joining uh, your school. So hi, everybody, if this is the first time you're seeing me, um, and it's, I'm looking forward to uh, connecting with your community. Uh, George has not only uh, been in education for, you said, 29 years, right. uh, he's a hardcore sports fan, I found out he's a wrestling fan from back in the day. That was like my favorite thing as a kid. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a wrestling question at the okay. end of the podcast. So I gotta I gotta see how much how much you know, right? Because like I grew up in. I, do you know Stampede? And I should ask this right now. Do you know Stampede wrestling? Do you remember Stampede? This is yeah. like Canadian wrestling, right? Yeah. Like, it's out of Calgary. Owen Hart, Bret Hart. All yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Blackjack Mulligan moved from moved into it. Um, 
for a while, and I took uh, the senior Funk guy with him, Dory Funk, maybe Dory Funk Senior. He took with him oh to the yeah. while. I gotta, I gotta stop it, man. I'm gonna talk. I cannot believe how much wrestling you know. This is amazing, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. All right, so George, it is is awesome to talk to you. Um, I love the personal connections you have. I think that's a really big thing for me in education is that. We know people on different level, you know, beyond education. So I really love connecting with you. But George, if you could just kind of introduce yourself, tell us who you are, what you do today, how you got there. It's a great place to start. Sure. Uh, Again, my name is George Farrow. I've uh, been in education now since 1992, 93, when I graduated college. Um, I started out as a high school guy. I quickly realized that the middle school is where it's at because I think in my mind I'm forever a 12 year old. Um, So I did. Let's see. I did 20, just about 20 years, 22 years in, in um, between teaching and assistant principal and principal in middle school. And this is the end of my fifth year as an assistant superintendent. I moved my family to Whitman, where I currently work in Whitman Hanson, because I at a young age when I became the principal, I was missing out on some of their young stuff. And I still like to coach and I wanted to see them. So my wife and I made the decision to move here. And so I was able to have my children at least go through middle school with me. That was a great experience. And now my boy is a graduate, graduated college. And my girl, my daughter is in college still. But it's been a great experience. And uh, education is the last best chance we have for society. So we have to make sure we get it right. And we have to make sure not the academics as much, but the relationships and how people need to act and what they need to do to be productive in society. Well, that, you know, that's, you know, my parents were immigrants to Canada, didn't have like a formal education. My mom went to grade six, my dad went to grade two, and that was it for them, right? And it was so crucial to them that their kids got an education. So they saw school as a way to a better life, right? And it was really, uh, school was really central, not to just education, but to our community, right? right? Like it was so important and... Um, it was such a different, you know, in some ways it was a, a different time. And I know there's still schools like this um, as well. Like when when I used to get in trouble at school, that ensured I would get in trouble at home. Right? Absolutely. Yes. It wasn't like the teacher was scared, right? It was like right. I was scared too. And um, that right. that relationship was, was really crucial because I think it does, uh, you know, lead to you know, a, not only a better life for us, but a better community. And I think that's sure. a really important thing. What, yeah. what was some of the challenges that you had um, as an uh, administrator and as a parent? Maybe I should ask your kids this, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, what were some of the challenges that you have? Like, because, you know, um, were they, were, did, they, did kids think that your, your kids were their favorites or maybe your kids thought you were too hard on them? Like, what, what, did, what were some of the challenges you had with that? So, so I sat, um, so when I moved here, my son was in first grade. My daughter was still in preschool. So I was already the principal of the local middle school. Um, so growing up, I coached their sports. And, um, but I always told them that, hey, you get to live in this town with your dad being an administrator. But that means that you won't, like I felt bad for him, but like you won't be all stars. You won't be picked for things. You, because that's never going to come back that says you only got that because of who your dad is. So when my son finally went to high school, I asked him, do you still want to be my son or do you want to be yourself? And he said, let me go be myself. So he went to a Catholic school in a neighboring town and it was what he needed. It worked out great for him because anything he earned, you know, he was a good, good athlete. He did some nice things. He went to college, played some things there, but it was all on his own. 
So I had the ability to watch them grow. I had the ability to pick them up from elementary school and, and have fun with their friends and have fun and see them blossom. But at the end of the day, it was, you now have to go be yourself and find that out. So I recognize that and uh, it's worked out great. And it worked out. My daughter followed suit. So my son was the quiet one. My daughter's the woo. And um, so she followed suit and um, she went to the same high school as my son did. And they both blossomed, did things on their own. And, but the combination of having them every day when you walk down the hall and you go to lunch and you see a kid and you see his buddies and you see his friends and you watch him grow uh, far outweighed any negative interaction I ever had with a parent because I live here. That's awesome. You know, yeah. and that, the, when you're telling the story, I don't know who this quote would be attributed to. I don't know if it's just a saying, but um, it's that, that idea of like, you don't prepare the road for the child. You prepare the child for the road, right? Correct. It's that, you know, kind of when you're talking to your son and yeah. him saying that and then your daughter following suit, that, that's, a, that's a really powerful thing. What, yeah. what did you find is like when you transitioned from high school to middle school, what yeah. was like, what was like, was it, what was like one of the biggest changes for you going through that process? So I grew up thinking that it would be high school and I'd be the high school coach and that was it. And I yeah. thought that I could relate to those people. So those kids, and I did. However, when I got to middle school, I would always say two things. I would always say that middle school is the last best chance for a kid. And the reason why I say that is, is because if you look at the adolescent developmental structure of a child, they usually go into, let's say, sixth grade, where their moms and dads and their significant others and their guardians want them to still be friends with everybody. So sixth right. grade is I'm friends with everybody. You then get into seventh grade, you start to develop your own identity, you start to say, maybe I like these kids better than those kids, or maybe those kids are bad and mean, and I don't want to sit with them. So you right. start to struggle. And then when you get to eighth grade, you usually have your well-defined friend group, and then there's only infighting with them. But by the time you leave 14 years old, about when you leave eighth grade, you have all those qualities that make you usually who you are, and they're pretty much solidified. So the role of the middle school educator, the role of adults in middle school is to make sure kids always have an adult they can talk to is to make sure you guide them through the adolescent changes but it's also to try to instill in them the things like personal responsibility respect caring and all of those pieces and how to work together so that as they get older that can already be embedded and then in the high school you improve upon what you have like i never a lot of times i didn't stress the pure academics of it although obviously massachusetts we right. do but it was more about the connections and the self-identity so that when they leave your school in eighth grade, they have the skills necessary to become individuals who can think, who can act, who can be respectful, and then who can learn along the way because they have those inherent skills already. Well, you know, like I was just you're, when you're talking about this, I really thought about my friend group uh, growing up and um, we were really into sports and things like this. And to be honest with you. I lived in a very small town where if you weren't involved in sports, you'd yeah. get involved in some stuff. Yeah. Right. right? Because there's not much to do. Right? right. So you're kind of limited with that. And uh, a lot of times growing up in the small town, a lot of people, you know, that were my age in high school, middle school, they'd go drinking. Yeah. And it wasn't that I was deciding between drinking and playing sports. I never even had the option. Like it right. wasn't even a thing because we were at, we were just, I didn't even really know that was going on because we were always, um, you know, at tournaments, yeah. things like that. And it shaped a lot of um, who I am today. And it's weird because you watch a lot of shore shows, you talk about people and a lot of stuff that 
is issues with us as adults is stuff yeah. that happened when we were kids and oh, it yeah. still comes up too right and that's you know i was just just thinking about that i i'm a bit have you ever seen the show I, if you've never seen the show i bet you'd love it cobra kai have you ever seen cobra oh, kai? yeah 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 it's hilarious because it's kind of like um yeah. there's a show in canada called degrassi and oh, it's, yeah. it's like degrassi with karate yeah right, right? Right. And so, but the, the big characters are obviously, you know, Daniel LaRusso and Johnny from the original Karate Kid. Yeah. And you can see, like, they both have issues from oh, their yeah. childhood and stuff like that, too, from when they were that. I love that show. I, I know. It's like a little Cobra Kai. We got to <laughs> hang out, man. Wrestling, yeah. Cobra Kai. Look at all this stuff. <laughs> That's hilarious. All right. So I, I know. So I'm coming to Whitman Hatson and you, you and I, uh, when we were talking and uh, planning for the show today, you talked about a lot about, you know, a lot of changes that have happened sure. in your community and really the opportunities that come from that. So talk a little bit about that. What does that look like? Sure. So in, in Whitman Hanson now we have um, a, the biggest thing I think we have is that we have a changing um, student population. So now we have a lot of um, English learners or English language learners. That, uh, that are now coming to us. And as a result, it's it's been a wonderful time to say, what have we always done and can we still do that? One. Two is what are the changes we need to make? And then three, let's talk to, let's get some student voice of our newest students in to see how we can do this together. So we have a new director of, um, of EL, and then we also have a family liaison now and then we also have a registrar who's multilingual so that when our parents come in, they at least start to feel comfortable. And one of the things we've learned and we're really trying to do is we have parent information nights about where do you find your doctor? Where do you sign up for local soccer? Where do you have community resources if you need community resources? And then we also started um, uh, adult um, classes to learn English. So adult English speaking classes for language acquisition. And we've had... Up to today, we've had two sessions and we've almost had 50 families and 50 adults uh, try to partake in it so they can learn more about the schools and they can uh, help. We also have now have what are called elementors. So elementors are high school students who go down to the elementary schools and they're EL students. So they then go work with and our youngest EL students so that those students can see role models, can have a bond, and then they can try to have like experiences as they move through this new culture they're in because we have students that speak very little to no english and we have students that have now learned at least enough english in our former uh el students we call them fells but it really has brought a unique perspective to the adults because there's been some lumps yeah it's brought a unique perspective to our curriculum and what are we teaching and how do we teach it and from what whose vantage point are we normally teaching? But it really has also brought like, hey, this is cool, this is new, what can we learn from them? So we have cooking classes now that the kids run. Right every week we, in the cafeterias, we now offer different foods from different countries that we have, because we're right now we're up to 16 different spoken languages. And if you go back four years ago, we only had two spoken languages. Right. So it's been pretty, it's been pretty amazing. You know, that, that when, so when I was a kid growing up, and I, I really appreciate this. We, we, and I, you know, we would bug our mom uh, because she's Greek. Um, Greek was obviously her first language. To be honest with you, Greek was my first language. I yeah. just, 
don't speak it anymore, right? Yeah. That was the first right. language I spoke. And she used to say things like Elvis Parsley. I remember yeah. that. And we would make fun of her. And she's like, you know, I can speak two languages. You can only speak one, right? right. And like, uh, right. So it was like her little way of saying shut up, right? right. Like, right. You know, interesting. Yeah. But I remember as a kid, um, she would speak Greek to, to me. And it, it was no, it was just, it, it was no like fault of the community in the sense that it wasn't like people made fun of me because my parents spoke Greek. Right. But it, we just didn't really see that anywhere else. So I right. remember saying to her, like, don't talk Greek to us. Like, don't right. talk Greek, right? You got to, like, speak English to us because it was, like, embarrassing because it wasn't actually highlighted. It wasn't actually embraced. It wasn't discouraged, but it wasn't, you know, so it was kind of like, I want to just kind of fit in. I just want to be like everybody else. And I fought really, really hard to, like, not learn Greek as a kid. Correct. And I can tell you straight up, probably my biggest regret as as a, an adult that i can't um we i've gone home or you know i've gone to my parents home yeah. uh, in greece yeah. seen relatives and you know it's it's very hard to communicate with them because they don't speak english and stuff like that right. too so it really it really is powerful to hear that we're not trying to make people what they're not but actually embracing and really highlighting the gifts that they bring to our communities because I, I I think about how much that would have been different for me when I was a kid and maybe I would have been more wanting to learn more about my own background True. and heritage and culture, right? Like yeah. is, is that kind of how you see it? Like that's that's kind of the I, impact you're having. I see it as that too. And I see you and I had very similar experiences. My parents I was from a very Portuguese family. And as a result, I went to, you know, the nuns in, in I was in uh, the city of New Bedford for school and we had Portuguese every day. My parents would speak Portuguese. They would speak Portuguese when they didn't want the kids to hear it. You know, but, but at that time of life, everybody comes over. You know, when you come over from whatever country, um, you want to get to America at that time and you want to become Americanized. So you want to forget those ties. Yeah. So we went through our generation, went through those pieces. Now we want to celebrate our differences. And, and as a result, I think myself, maybe yourself, we, we lost that connection because we tried so hard not to have it. But... At least we're smarter and more educated now to think we should value that more, even if not just from a business perspective and what it can do for you, but just from the cultural and the heritage perspective and the ability to recognize that we're not all the same. And there are joys and and experiences of, that other people have that we should celebrate with them. Yeah. And like that's actually like, a, you know, um, my dad obviously passed years ago and I feel like it's me when I really talk, you know, with my kids and we share that culture that I grew up in. And um, it, it's funny because the the stuff that I used to complain about eating when I was a kid, yeah. I would like die for now, right? Yeah. Like, oh, like, yeah. like give, give me some baklava, give me yeah. some yeah. saganaki and like all this other stuff. And I'm like, ah, we're having lamb again. Like, yeah. you know, was like we were just complaining about it. Now it's like a delicacy, right? So, you know, it's like, it's really important to me that my kids know like where our families came from and their experiences and what that looked like. And, you know, and, you know, and obviously um, create their own pathway forward as, as you did with your own kids. So I get to join you all in, in August. So tell me um, that day, if, if I'm successful uh, that day, what would that look like to you? If you're successful that day, that'll look like that people want to 
um, they're happy, they're energized, they're getting connected, and they're receiving a message that sets them up to go start. Now, what's fun is after that day, we, we, we try to make it as minimal of a school business atmosphere as we can. Yeah. So what we try to do is we bring people in. Uh, we do like 30 minutes maybe, but we play videos of all our new staff. We play videos of our um, professional status staff. We play videos of our staff who 15, 20, 25, 30 years. And then we, we get into, um, hey, how are you? And then we start right now with you. And then... Yeah. After that, we all go out to a barbecue. So we've worked out with our facilities department. We have barbecue. We have ice cream trucks. We uh, we all gather together. We play music right on the quad outside of our high school. And then at 1230, people can run, go back to their individual schools. And that sort of starts. Yeah. Okay, we're back. We kicked off. Let's get ready for the school year. You know, it's actually, I'm listening to this and actually think about my evolution as a teacher, right? Because basically what... I would do is like you spend a little bit of time uh, building relationships when kids first walk into your class. And then basically once recess happened, you come back, okay, okay, let's get ready for the year. Let's yeah. get into it. And, and then later we would, we would spend like the first week getting to know each other. Oh yeah. Like the, the disconnect for, you know, a lot of people would be like, well, that's, you got so much curriculum to cover, you know, like all that time you're wasting instructional time. I'm like, but, but the reality of it is because we built a relationship, we have trust in one another, we're actually getting everything done quicker. Correct. And it kind of get, gets into that notion of speed of trust. So as you're talking about that, you know, I, I love that because I think more and more school districts um, would benefit from not getting into the, like the weeds and the stuff, you know, like the business stuff right away. And, you know, like, Hey, you got to take this training and all this other stuff, but really just getting people excited about the year giving yeah. them some time. And yeah. so I, I, I absolutely love that. Okay. All right. Now let's, we're going to, this is the last question I'm going to ask you as a kid, who's your wrestler? Who's, who's your guy? I got to ask this question. Who is like your favorite wrestler of all time? Okay. I think the favorite wrestler of all time. Okay. I have two. All right. So if I go to Georgia championship wrestling, it's definitely wildfire. Tommy rich. Tommy rich. Okay. Tommy rich. All right. If I go to the, the WWF, aspect of it i love the iron sheik he was yeah. a great he just passed away do you know this passed away last night or the day before right yeah yeah and i think i love him because one of a, a, a longtime friend who i who i had met in kindergarten i'm still very friendly with as we got older would always put quotes and would always put little pieces about the iron sheik says he's got a great instagram right. and, uh, and so we'd relive yeah, we'd relive all the famous, whether it's against Don Morocco, Snuka, all those guys. Right. We just we'd relive it. So I think I'd have to say it was probably Wildfire, Tommy Rich, and then the Iron Sheik. Uh, I was I was a big Macho Man guy. And oh, of course. I love Macho Man. Yeah. And, um, and th like this, do you remember Paul Orndorff? Do you remember Paul? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I remember this. Like it's just such a it's such like looking back at the time because. Um, it was Saturday morning. Yeah. They had the that one hour. It was all yeah. terrible matches except for the end. And I remember yeah. Hulk Hogan, Paul Orndorff turned good. Yeah. Him and Hulk Hogan were in a match together. They're yeah. friends. And then at the end, Paul Orndorff like clotheslines him, and then he pile drives him into the cement. And I, yeah. I, just, I was not a fan of Hulk Hogan. It's like anyone no. who didn't go against Hulk Hogan, like, which is <laughs> kind of interesting. And yeah. like, and then like getting on the phone one person at a time 
right? Not like talking about the internet. It's just such a right. weird time. And like, uh, yeah. That's do, you, do you remember when Michael Hayes dressed up as Santa Claus? Oh, when, yeah. he was, when he was with the Freebirds and nobody really knew. And then he just went bananas. That was outstanding yeah that was like that was a very different time right and yeah. i grew up i grew up in that and i was obsessed yeah with magazines yeah. Stuff like that too that's oh my god that's <laughs> well hey george it was awesome uh connecting with you i honestly can't wait to join great. your school district and be a part of that day so thanks yeah. so much for having me thanks for taking time i know we're you're you're filming this at the end of the year it's super yeah. busy time so i appreciate you but uh, I can't wait to meet your entire staff. So I'm all right. My pleasure. Thank you so much. We'll see you soon. And thanks everyone for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day.